What's going on, everybody? We good? Hey, as you're taking a seat, look to your neighbor, give him a hug, a high five, a handshake. Let them know you've prayed all week that you would get to sit beside of them tonight. And God's so good, he answered your prayers. Hey, is it anybody's first time here at Young Adults tonight? Anybody's first time? Give it up for the first timers. Is anybody starting school back up? Is anybody back in Colorado because school is starting back up? I literally don't envy you at all. Seriously, I um, I still get nightmares sometimes. I'm not kidding. I'm 31 years old. I've been out of school for a long time. And I still get nightmares that I haven't turned in like a final paper, paper stuff for real. Like this is like a reoccurring dream of mine. And I feel like, you know, my university calls me up and is like, hey, we can't give you your degree. And, you know, it's totally invalid and stuff. So, but I'm praying for you. Said all that to say, I'm praying for all of those people who are starting up school. Well, hey, thanks for coming and hanging out tonight. You're going to find out really quickly that um, here at Young Adults at Red Rocks Church, we love Jesus. And we believe that Jesus is the most incredible person on the planet. We believe that he's more than a person. We believe that he's God incarnate. And I want to challenge you tonight. Maybe you walked in here and you don't know about Jesus. You honestly don't care about Jesus. I just kind of want to challenge you to lean in and maybe let your heart go to a place where potentially you would consider who Jesus is. Because I promise you when you meet him, he'll leave your life totally different. He'll, he'll change you in ways that you can't even begin to, to verbalize. And if you're in here tonight and you've been following Jesus for a while, I just want to challenge you. Allow yourself to just have an encounter with him. Allow yourself to have an encounter with his spirit. Uh, allow yourself, challenge yourself to see Jesus in a new way, because the only way that we walk out here different than when we come in is we encounter Jesus. It's not a worship song that we have an amazing worship team. It's not a message. It's, it's not anything that we can do, but it's Jesus. It's when we encounter the person of Jesus that we leave different and better and more like him. And so last week, we began a series that we call How to Live Your Best Life. And we believe that if you are going to live your best life here on earth, the best life that God has in store for you, it might not come the way that you think it would. I think the world and our culture and news and society has an agenda about what it would look like for you to live your best life. But I personally believe that for us to experience God's best uh, the, the way we do that is living a life that follows in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And so last week, Andrew talked about living our best life starts by being people of generosity, people that have generous spirits and generosity that flows not only through our life, but in our finances. The Bible says that where your finances are, where your treasures are, your heart will be there too. And so we talked about how God's plan for us to experience our best life. The world tells us to hoard and make more money and, and, and accumulate as much as possible. But God actually says, if you want to experience your best life, give to people that are in need. Be generous with everything that God's put in your hand and you'll experience a life you never could have imagined. And so tonight, I want to continue that conversation 
on some principles that Jesus has given us to what we need to do, how we need to structure our life so that we get the opportunity to experience the best life that God has for us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 35. How many people are old school, carry a leather Bible around? Lift it up. There we go. How many people are a little new age, got the Bible on their phone? Lift it up, lift up your phone. Hey, if somebody's on Instagram, call them out right now. If you saw them, lift it up. Call them out. That's, a, that's an immediate townhouse in heaven, just saying. Immediate townhouse in heaven to look at your Instagram during a message, just saying. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Focus, like zoom in. Focus. Here we go. All right. We find ourselves, Mark chapter 10, Jesus and his crew are walking around, and this is where, this is where the story begins. It says, James and John... Sons of Zebedee. What an amazing name. I think Aaron and I are going to name our baby that. Zebedee. Beautiful. Just flows off the tongue. James and John, sons of Z, they approached Jesus and said, Teacher, will you do us a favor? And Jesus was like, Yeah, sure. What do you want me to do? And they said, We want to sit next to you when you come into your glory. They said, One at your right and one at your left. And Jesus said to them, I don't really think you have a clue on what you're asking for, fellas. Are you prepared to drink from the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? And are you able to endure the baptism into death that I'm about to experience? And I love this. They're like, yep, we're able. Like, <laughs> it's like, ding. Like, yes, we're able. And Jesus said to them, you certainly will drink from the cup of my suffering and be immersed into my death. But to have you sit in the position of the highest honor is not mine to decide. It is reserved for those, I love this, whom grace has prepared them to have it. I love God's grace and that Jesus is full of grace. Now, I love this. It says, now the other 10 disciples overheard this and they became angry and began to criticize James and John. And Jesus gathered them all together and said, those who are recognized as rulers of the people and those who are in top leadership positions rule oppressively over their subjects. But this is not the example that you are going to follow. You are going to lead in a different way, by a different model. If you want to be the greatest one, the greatest in the room, the greatest among your friends or colleagues, then live as one who is called to serve others. The path to promotion and prominence comes by having a heart of a bond slave who serves everyone. For even the Son of Man, a.k.a. Jesus, even Jesus did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but actually to serve everyone and to give his life as the ransom price in exchange for the salvation of many. If you're in here tonight and you're taking notes, and you were on Instagram earlier and you want to redeem yourself. The title of my message is this. It is the greatest among you. The greatest among you. Can we pray? And we're going to kind of jump into this thing head first. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that we get an opportunity to come together and to spend time with you. Father God, we believe that if we lift up the name of Jesus, that all other distractions fall to the wayside and we see you for who you are and we're just better because of it. And so tonight, God, I'm asking you to do what you've said you would do, which is lift the head of the weary, mend the hearts of the broken, come and declare the year of your favor, God. Bring healing to those who are sick, mend broken and hurting souls. 
Let people see you for who you are, your love, your grace, your mercy, your kind. And I pray that as we just look to you and listen to you and give our lives over to being more like you, God, we could meet with you and leave different than the way we came in. Jesus, it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. And everybody at Red Rocks Young Adults said, amen and amen. All right, so I know I read a lot of scripture, but I wanna go back and I wanna break down the story that we just read together because I believe that in this story, we see an example of one of the greatest desires of the human heart. And James and John sort of give us that example of one of the greatest desires of the human heart. And I believe that is a desire to live a life of significance, to live a life with purpose, to live a life with power and passion and authority, to have influence in this life. We see in this story that these two men sort of came to Jesus and were like, hey, Jesus, how do we live our best life? And actually, they had a picture in their head of what their best life would look like. And they were like, Jesus, this is the best life for us. This is what we want to happen. And so Jesus and his 12 disciples, they're walking on their way to Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, this is a moment where Jesus is about to experience the most crucial pain. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to be betrayed, to hang on a cross, to die for the sins of the world, and then to raise again on the third day. So Jesus is focused and he knows what he's heading in to Jerusalem for. And Jesus, sort of knowing this fate, in Mark chapter 10, he sort of hits on a lot of big subjects before we get to this story. Here in Mark chapter 10, Jesus talks about divorce and what is God's heart towards divorce. He talks about the value of children, the value of their lives and of, of raising them and bringing them to Jesus and not keeping children away from Jesus who loves kids. He, he talks about the rich young ruler, which Andrew kind of mentioned. He's, he's talking about the subject of finances. And I know sometimes it can feel a little weird in church to talk about finances, but Jesus talked about finances almost more than any other subject that he talked about because it's so closely linked to our heart. And so here, Jesus, he talks about divorce, he talks about kids, finances, and he even goes as far as to prophesy his own death and resurrection in this chapter. Jesus, he's walking around, he's kind of tying up all the loose ends, and he prophesies and he tells his, his friends, his disciples, hey, I'm about to go die and I'm going to be raised again on the third day, so don't worry about it. And it, I don't think it necessarily, necessarily clicked for him, but while all this is going on, while they're walking towards Jerusalem, we encounter what I believe is a very serious, very hilarious, but very relatable story between Jesus and his disciples. And as I was reading this story, I don't know why, I always like play it out in my mind, kind of like a movie, and give characters like accents, like, you know, like Jersey accents or just something like that. I don't know why, but we kind of come on this story, and these two brothers, James and John, they come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, Come over here. Hey, I need to ask you something. Jesus, come over here. And to make this better, I didn't use this story, but um, Matthew, I believe Matthew uh, reflects this exact same story, but it actually says that James and John's mom comes to Jesus. How many people just had that friend growing up that their mom was just like, it was like, oh my gosh, my son is not the starter in the football, even though he is the worst player on the team, I am going to talk to the coach. Like, James and John were those kids. Like, they were the kids that sucked at football, but the mom went and tried to make them starters. Like, those were the guys. 
And so they, they pull Jesus over and they're like, Jesus, hey, come here. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And Jesus is like, okay, what's going on? Shoot, fellas, what's, what's going on? And they're like, hey, we want our lives to be significant. We want our lives to be powerful and authoritative. And Jesus is like, okay, go on. And James and John, they're like, Jesus, Jesus, like when people hear the names James and John, we want people to think, oh my gosh, those guys, what power, what authority, what significant lives, what influential lives. Like they were so awesome that Jesus wanted them to sit on his left and on his right, regardless if their mom asked for it or not. Like when we Jesus, we want people, when they hear our names, to equate our names with greatness. Like Peter, Peter's awesome. He's kind of a bonehead. He'll do some cool stuff. And and Peter's going to be great, and people will love him. And Judas, oh, we all know it's about to happen to him. (laughs) But James and John, man, we want that name to matter. And we want lives that show that that we were significant. See us at your right hand, and at your left hand. And I love it because as Jesus is sort of explaining to them why he cannot make this happen for them necessarily, the other disciples sort of catch on to this private conversation. And I imagine like James and John are standing over on that side and Peter's just like, hey, 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 what are you all whispering about over there? Jesus, what? Why can't you talk to all of us over here? Huh? Like, what, what, what is going on over here? Jesus, in a proverb, secret secrets are no fun. Secrets hurt somebody. Like, <laughs> Jesus, what, what are y'all talking about? Why can't we be included in this? And you know, Judas slides in and he's like, well, I don't know exactly what they're talking about, but they were talking, they're throwing shade on Peter. And so Peter, I don't, you know, they're just, uh, they're just talking bad about you. And uh, Judas. <laughs> but the 12 disciples These 12 saints of the faith, they start to have this really real, really relatable argument over who among them is going to live the best life. Who's going to have the most significant, powerful, influential life? Who is going to be the best? And as we're reading this, because we kind of put these people on a pedestal besides Judas and hold them up. Part of me hopes he's not in heaven only because I feel like he's gonna be like, dude, you rag on me a lot, you know? (laughs) But but I'm just like, all right, bring it back. Here we go. (laughs) But these 12 saints, people we idolize, some people even pray to them. These 12 saints are arguing about who among them is going to have the best life. And as funny as it is, I feel like to some degree, most of us in this room actually can kind of relate to James and John when it comes to asking Jesus to give us what we believe is the best life possible for us. When we talk about living our best life or experiencing the best that God has in our life, what are we really asking God for? What are we asking God to do for us? Or or what kind of life are we asking to experience? I think, honestly, for most of us in here, we're asking God to give us some type of influence that God would use us and use our lives to impact other people for good. I think most of us, when we want to live our best life, are asking for purpose and significance, that we wouldn't just wander around life aimlessly, but we would feel like we're using our years doing what God has asked us to do, like living with fulfillment and walking in what we feel like is our lane and our calling. 
Most of us in here are asking for God's provision and God's blessing. We want God to, to show us favor, and that's awesome. And honestly, when we talk about living our best life, while the context might be a little different, I feel like it's not too far off from the, the idea of what James and John were asking for from Jesus. And here's what I love about Jesus. This, this is why I think Jesus is so cool. He, he doesn't scold them for wanting this kind of life. Jesus doesn't tell them that they're wrong or that they're stupid or that they're self-centered. Like He doesn't say, oh, you, you two, mama's boys, want to sit at my right and at my left. Like You two are the ones that want that position of power. You guys are so far off. You are so wrong. You are so self-centered. Jesus actually doesn't say any of that. He doesn't scold them for the request from him. But what he does tell them, and what I believe he wants to tell us tonight in the hour and a half that we have left in this message. <laughs> Kidding, just wanted to see if y'all were paying attention. What I feel like God wants to tell us tonight is it's awesome if we want that kind of life. I think God and Jesus wants us to have that kind of life. But I think the way that we go about getting that life, the way that we achieve the best life, might look a lot different than most of us walked in here thinking it looks like. I think a lot of us in here can relate to James and John because when we think about our best life, we think about power, we think about position, we think about authority, we think about influence and sort of domineering or just being above certain people. But Jesus... And his conversation with these two says, listen, it is incredible for you to want that kind of life. But the way that you are going to get it, if you want to be great, if you want to experience your best life, if you want to be the best and the greatest in this room, among your friends, among your family, you actually have to be a servant. You actually have to be a servant. The greatest life you could ever live or dream of starts when you become a servant. And this is a bonus. I genuinely didn't have this in my notes, but it just hit me because most of our people in here, the majority are ladies. Ladies, relationship advice. You guys love it. Just embrace it. If your suitor, boyfriend, whatever, is not a servant of the house, why do you think he would be a serving spouse? Bars. I even gave it to you in bars. I mean, that's what I do. No, I'm kidding. Shut up, Connor. Fellas, if you're dating a girl that's not serving God's house, that's not a servant, what makes you think that as soon as you guys get married, they're going to be a serving spouse, that they're going to serve you? That should be the literal number one thing that you look for outside of being attracted to them <laughs> in a spouse. If they don't serve the house, they won't be a serving spouse. That's bonus. Write that down. Keep that. Back to regular scheduled program. Here we go. <laughs> the greatest life you could ever live comes when you start to give your life over to serving other people. But there's a problem there is a problem when we talk about serving other people. There's a problem that kind of rears its ugly head. There's a rub that we face when it comes to living a life devoted to serving other people. And it is this. Serving demands humility. Serving other people demands humility. 
James and John said, Jesus, we want to be great. We want to be awesome. We want our best life. And Jesus is like, that is incredible. That is amazing. Be a servant. And James and John are like, time out, time out. I don't think you heard us. Jesus, we did not say we want to serve on the heavenly wait staff. We didn't say, Jesus, we want to be heavenly busboys and like take your dishes away. Jesus, we're, we're not trying to be little angels that fly around taking out trash in heaven. Jesus, we want to be great. We want to be significant. We want our lives to matter. Jesus, can you make this happen? And Jesus was like, yeah, I heard you. I know you want to be great. And that is incredible. But I'm telling you, if you want to be that great, if you want to be the greatest among your friends this, this, in this room, if you want to be the greatest amongst your peers, you have to be a servant of all people. And the hard part of that is serving demands humility. And listen, in our day and age, humility could not be more countercultural. Our culture honestly, does not run towards humility very quickly. Our culture will tell you that if you want to experience your best life, if you want to experience everything that you've ever dreamed of and some, you might have to burn some bridges along the way. You might have to use a few people and burn a few bridges, and that's cool. You might have to step on a few people as you're climbing up, you know, kick down and kiss up. Like, you might have to, like, step on a few people. You might have to, you might have to, what, what, what else might you have to do? You might have to climb the ladder of success regardless of the wake that it leaves in your path. You might have to climb that ladder and, and hurt some people, but whatever. You may have to sell. This is very relevant in our culture. You may have to sell your soul to the God of self-promotion. And you may have to start gaining influence and influencers and, and checking up on how many people are following you on the gram and liking your pictures. Like you might have to sell out to the God of influence. If you want to experience your best life here, humility is so countercultural. And honestly, I believe that we live in a culture that's it's not only countercultural, I believe that our culture is terrified of humility. I believe our culture it doesn't just understand it. It doesn't just want it. I believe it, it's honestly kind of scared of humility. I believe that there's a real fear attached with being a humble servant of all people. And it might manifest its way in your life a little differently, or it might, you might hear this conversation in your head go a little differently. But here's sort of the overall fear that we have as a society, not just out these doors, but in these doors, when it comes to being humble and serving others. And it sort of goes like this. This is the fear of humility. It says, if I am humble and I give my life over to serving others, what if I live my entire life and my talents and gifts go undiscovered? If I'm humble and I serve other people, and I push other people forward, and I promote other people, and I use whatever platform or stage or influence I have to push other people forward. What if I live my whole life and nobody discovers the gifts and the talents that I have? What if I actually serve the way that Jesus served and no one ever notices me? 
And we pray prayers like this, and you'll know you're kind of getting caught up in this mindset, and I'm guilty. Uh, literally, when I was a kid, I used to want to be a professional football player, a wide receiver for God's team, Minnesota Vikings. Give it up. There we go. Three of us. Skull. And uh, as a kid, I literally used to pray these prayers of like, God, if you make me an NFL wide receiver, and I win my meager request of 10 Super Bowls, and I'm MVP every year that I'm in the league, and I have the house and the car and the wife and the dogs and whatever. Like, if you do that for me, Jesus, I promise I'll mention your name in a post-game interview. <laughs> you laugh, genuinely. That was like my bargaining chip to God. Like, God, need a shout out? Like Super Bowl, huh? But you'll know you've kind of bought into this fear when you start praying prayers like, Jesus, if you bless me, if you prosper me, if you push me forward, if you make me famous, if you increase my influence, I swear I'll use it to talk about you. Jesus, if you lift me up, I'll bring you up with me. And that's one of the greatest dangers and not just culture and Christian culture today. Jesus, if you exalt my platform, I promise I'll bring you up on my platform with me. And what starts to take place, this small switch you probably won't even notice it happening starts to take place. And we go from people that are so excited and so changed and so moved by what God has done in our life. We go from people that would give anything and everything to follow Jesus and slowly but subtly we go from followers of Jesus to people that plan out our life, our perfect life, our best life, and we ask Jesus to make it happen. And we promise that he can tag along and follow us as it's all playing out. And here's the thing. The promises of God don't come without the process of God. The promises of God don't come without the process of God. And, and as a servant, it rids yourself of this mindset. But so often in church, and listen, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to myself as well. So often I find myself saying, Jesus, I love your promises. I love going through the Bible and circling and highlighting the promises and how you want to prosper me and exalt me and give me good things, Jesus. I love your promises. I just don't know if I'm in love with your processes that get me to your promises. Jesus, I love your mercy. I love your gifts. I just don't know if I love the method that you use to get me there. So why don't you let me figure out my life and you can follow along with me as we try to make this thing happen. Can I tell you as a friend, as a pastor and as a friend, you will never experience your best life on this earth if you believe it comes from doing things your own way and asking Jesus to come along for the ride. If you believe that you can live life however you wanna live it and ask Jesus to bless it and make it happen, you'll never experience your best life here on earth. Because Jesus says you want that life you want that life that you've dreamed of? Maybe those dreams that I've given you, maybe they're God dreams, maybe they're good dreams. And how often do we find ourselves taking the things that God's given us as a gift and trying to make them happen on our own? If God's given you a dream in your heart as a gift, he knows exactly the time, the date. Like you might be the right person at the wrong time. You don't wanna be that. You might be the wrong time, the right person. Like, you know, like when God gives you something, God knows how to play it out. 
And all he asks us to do is just to follow him in that process. And I promise you, you will not experience God's best life that he has for you if you try to take this life by the horns and lead Jesus in the direction that you want to go. Jesus says, you want to be great. You want to experience everything that I have for you. You want a life of abundance overflowing. You want a life that you didn't even know was possible. Humble yourself and be a servant. It starts with humility and serving other people. Philippians 2, verse 6 through 11, it says this, who, being Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as man. He, what, humbled himself. Humbled himself so much that he even became obedient to death. Death on a cross. The most brutal kind of death there is. And it says, therefore... Therefore, why? Because Jesus humbled himself. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that was above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow both on heaven and on earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords to the glory of the Father. The world says... Humble yourself and serve and you are going to be overlooked and you are going to be forgotten and you are going to be uh, abused and mistreated and nobody's going to know the gifts and talents that you have. Philippians says Jesus himself was a servant and humbled himself. Therefore, what is therefore? Therefore, therefore means because, because Jesus humbled himself. And became a servant when he was God Almighty from the beginning of the universe. He was the God that spoke things into existence and they were like, this is who we're talking about. And he humbled himself and came as a servant. And the Bible says, therefore, because he did that, the father was pleased to exalt him to the highest level and give him a name that is above every single name. Young adults, don't miss this. Jesus humbled himself to serve and the father exalted him to a place of power and prominence. The enemy will constantly be whispering in your ear. If you humble yourself, if you serve, you're going to be forgotten. You're going to be overlooked. People won't recognize you. They won't appreciate you. They won't know what you have. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Serve, humble yourself, serve every day. Humble yourself, serve and watch how God exalts you. It's a principle that God has given us to experience and live our best life. Matthew 23, 12 says this, the greatest among you will be the one who's the greatest servant. The greatest among you will be a servant and whoever exalts themselves, the way that the world tells you to exalt yourself, you're actually gonna be humbled. But whoever will humble themselves and serve, God will exalt. When we humble ourselves, and we just dedicate our life to serving others, people that can't even give us anything in return. God exalts us. And this is what I love about this process. God just doesn't exalt us. He exalts us in his timing. He exalts us according to his will. 
He exalts us according to his purposes. So you know that when you are exalted because no man gave you that position, no man can take away that position because it wasn't man. It wasn't kissing up and kicking down. It wasn't abusing and burning relationships to get to where you want to go. No, you humbled yourself. You served and therefore God exalted. So God sustains the position that he gives you now. You might be thinking, why are you so passionate about this? <clears throat> I'm already losing my voice. Why are you so passionate about this subject? Because I promise you, this is my story. This is my story. I was nobody. I'm nothing. I'm still, I'm still nobody. I'm somebody that's just trying to follow after Jesus and do what he tells me to do. But I was just this kid that had a dreams in his heart about following God and all God's asked me to do is serve and serve and serve and serve. And I'm like, okay. And it's just led me and it's just open more doors and open more doors. Like, listen, this is real. This happens. And this is so important. And this is why if you don't take anything away from tonight, if you forget how funny I was, how charming I was, all the incredible points I've made so far, like, chill out, Connor. We get it. Um, I want you to take away this one thing, and genuinely, I want you to write it down. If you don't have a pen, borrow a pen, write it on your arm. If you don't have paper, I want you to write this down because this is a principle that will hold true your entire life, I promise you, and this is what it is. God can do more with a servant than he ever can do with a talent. God can do way more with a servant than he can ever do with gifting and with talent. We live in a world that is obsessed with talent. We live in a world that is obsessed with giftings. And if we're not careful, myself included, sometimes we can get in here and get in these environments and think that it is what God has given us, which is actually going to lead us into the best life that God has for us. We sometimes think that it's, it's the gifts God's given us to steward is what is going to lead us to his best life. We think it's our looks Maybe we think it's our charm. Maybe we think it's our ability to sing or our ability to speak. Maybe it's our ability to lead, whatever it is. We think that is what is gonna be the thing that gets us to where we need to go. But listen, God gave you talents for a reason. God gave you talents because he wants you to use those talents to build his church and continue to build his kingdom. But I promise you something. God will use a servant in infinitely greater ways then he will ever use a talented individual. And here's why. And Ben, you guys can make your way on up. Servanthood shows your spirit. Talent only shows your ability. Servanthood shows your heart. Servanthood shows the spirit that's inside of you. Servanthood shows your motives. Ser servanthood shows what's really going on in the inside of your heart. Talent, gifts, only shows what you're able to do. And God is constantly looking for a heart that can be used. Way more than he's looking for somebody that's gifted and can be used. Listen, every single person in the world has a talent. I looked it up, and as of last year, on average, there are 360,000 people born a day. Just gotta be honest. There has to be somebody in that 360,000 that is more talented than me. Your numbers aren't looking good. I'm just being totally honest with you. Everybody's got a talent. 
Talents are a dime a dozen. Everybody, I don't care if you come in here and you feel like you're worthless, wrong. You have a talent. God has given you something to contribute. There is somebody that needs your encouragement. There is somebody that needs you to build them up. There's somebody that needs you to speak life and peace into their situation. You don't, everybody's got something to contribute. But here's the catch. Not every single person is willing to submit themselves to God's process to becoming a servant. Everybody's got a talent. Some people have 10, 20, 30, whatever. But not everyone is willing to take that talent and submit it to God and go through the process of becoming a servant in your heart. And if we're honest, humility and servanthood, they're not necessarily like our, our, our initial instinct. They're not our first response. Servanthood and, and being humble, it, it's not necessarily what we go to right away. I think a lot of us in here, as we continue to walk this life and become more and more like Jesus, we wrestle with this, this thing of wanting to promote ourselves and be in front and be the person seen. Humility and servanthood aren't second nature. They're not, they're not, they're not our initial response, but here's the good news. Jesus always has a process to make you more like him. Jesus always has a process to make you more like him. And I promise you, if you'll go and give your life into following Jesus in this, it'll be a lesson that you might have to learn over and over and over again. But the more you become like a servant, the more you submit yourself to God's process and say, God, I'm gonna choose to humble myself and serve God. This is an opportunity where I could really make people know what I've got, but I'm just gonna choose to humble myself and serve and trust that you'll exalt me in your time. God, if, if you continue to do that, I promise you, you are gonna see God use you in ways you genuinely could have never imagined because God knows he's got a servant's heart that he can trust more than just a talented person that'll do whatever they think is best in the moment. If you submit yourself to God's process, you're gonna to start to live a life that you never dreamed was possible. And it's because you were generous in your heart and you submitted your heart to becoming a servant like Jesus. I've probably shared this story before, but it's the only one I got. It's my story, so I'm gonna share it again. <laughs> I, uh, I was a college student in Virginia Commonwealth University, VCU Rams, anyone? No one, sweet, maybe one person, okay. I was a student, I was living life my own way, got involved with this Bible study, dude played basketball, I've shared this with you before, um, invited me to come and talk and gave my life to Jesus at VCU. Uh, right before Christmas break, sitting on a freezing cold uh, plastic chair. I can like literally draw a picture of it. I just remember it. It felt like an out-of-body experience. I encountered Jesus, and I was different. I was just new. And I felt like the Holy Spirit began to kind of draw me and call me and be like, hey, I'm going to use you to build my church and work in vocational ministry. Everybody in this room has been called to build the church. Just what we do looks a little different. And, and so Jesus was like, hey, I'm gonna, I wanna use you in vocational ministry. I want you to be a pastor. And I want you to transfer schools and go down to Florida. And I, I don't hear God very often, like very clearly. And this was one of them where I was like, all right, I'm going to Florida. And I go to school and I'm studying to be a pastor at Southeastern University. Shout out to the interns doing Southeastern. And part of my program was I had to do like this, this year long, like mini internship at a church. I had to put in like, 15 hours a week at a church. 
and you know they kind of match you up or if, if you were super connected or from around the area you could pick your church but I was new from Virginia and I, uh, I didn't know what church is and so they sort of matched me up with this big church giant church and it was cool because some of my friends were going there and you know it was a pretty popular place so I was like alright like this is it this is my road to pastoring give me three weeks I'll take this place over and we'll do some work and so I get there and I meet with my guy that's sort of over me and he, he says, hey, every Tuesday night, we open up our church and we have life groups here at our church. They didn't do them at their house. They did them in the church. And they said, this is your job. We want you to prepare for life groups. And so there was like 20 of these things, these little igloo coolers. And there was a giant uh, ice dispenser and it had a metal handle. Why? I don't know. But freezing cold temperatures and metal just wasn't great. And so every week, my job, my internship in serving Jesus looked like this. Grab one of these guys, set it down, open it up, get out the freezing cold things, scoop ice, fill it up, da -da, da -da -da, close it back up, walk it down to a room, set it down so that people could have ice in their drinks as they met for life group. And week after week after week, I would grab these things and fill them with ice and walk around and set them in rooms. And honestly, can I be honest? Initially, it was amazing. I literally remember, I feel like the guy thought I was the weirdest kid ever. I, like, I was like, dude, I'm called by God to do this. Like I heard him tell me to do this. And so I remember being like, how cool is it that I get to like set ice up so that maybe somebody that doesn't know Jesus comes and they get ice in their drink and who knows, maybe it's the catalyst of like them meeting Jesus, like who knows? But then weeks went on and months went on and I had friends that were in the same program and I started talking to my friends and I'm like, oh, what are you doing? And they're like, bro, you will never believe this. I'm actually gonna lead worship on Sunday at our church in front of like the whole church. I'm leading everything. And I'm like, that's awesome. Your voice isn't even that great, but whatever, I'm not bitter. And I'd be like, cool, hey man, how's your internship going? Great, bro, the, the, I'm, a, I'm a youth pastor and, and they're gonna interview me for the main pastoring job and I preach every week and I'm doing like the thing and I'm so pumped. And they're like, bro, how's your internship going? And I'm like, oh, it's great, man, it's awesome. Love it, they just see loads of potential in me, uh, speaking life into me. It's really tough, you know, like to, to have a small, I'm like, no, it sucks. You guys are doing what I felt like God told me I was gonna do one day. I, I felt like when God called me to this, he said, hey, you're gonna pastor. I want you to be a preacher. I want you to teach people about Jesus and lead people to Jesus. And I'm like, hey, I don't think I misheard you, but why do I have this stupid ice bucket thing still in my hand? And I remember I was so angry. I literally, I'm not kidding. I was driving in to fill this stupid thing up, to fill like 20 of these stupid things up again. And I, and I was like, I'm done. I'm gonna fill this up. I'm talking to my advisor. I quit. This is stupid. Like my friends are getting all the opportunities. My friends are getting to grow and to learn. And I am literally filling ice. And I get in my car and I put on a podcast. It was Craig Rochelle. I will never forget it. If I ever get to meet him, I will thank him forever for this because I wouldn't be here without this moment. I put on this podcast 
And Craig Rochelle talks about just the honor of serving in God's church and the honor of living your life as a servant. And he talked about two different Psalms. Psalm 92 says this, those that are planted in the house of God, they're gonna flourish in God's courts. They're gonna bring forth fruit in old age. That means they're gonna experience a life they never knew was possible because they gave their life over to serving. Psalm 84 says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I felt so convicted in the most loving way, driving in to fill up these ice buckets. And I remember getting there and I was crying and I had snot like pouring down my face. It was probably the grossest ice anybody ever had, but I was, I'd open this thing up and I was scooping and I was just crying. And I was like, God, if you have called me, to scoop ice for you for the rest of my life. I would rather be an ice scooper for Jesus than anything else than try to get my own life and try to get my own way. And I remember the voice of the Holy Spirit as I'm scooping ice and carrying it. And he's saying, hey, I know what you're doing right now might not seem very significant to you, but I am forming something inside of you that will take you further than any gift any platform, any stage, any blessing that you could ever experience in this life. If you will trust me with this process, if you will humble yourself and learn to be a servant, I will form something inside of you that I can use further than any gift you might ever have. Young adults, will we be a people that will allow Jesus to form in us the humble servant heart that he's asking of us so that he can use us to go further and take us further than we could have ever dreamed or imagined. Would you please stand to your feet? I believe that there's some people in here tonight that God's been doing a work on your heart. You know, the Bible says God's coming back and when we see him face to face. He's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not gonna say, well done, good and faithful CEO. Well done, good and faithful pastor, good and faithful worship leader, good and faithful whatever. He's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come enter into my rest. I believe that tonight my prayer was this. We're not out here looking for volunteer signups. If I'm being totally honest, we've got more volunteers than we know what to do with because they're incredible. My heart is this. If, if as a people, as a group of people in this room, can get this spirit of servanthood, that we're the people that go into our jobs, we're the people that go into our families, we're the people that go into our friend groups, and instead of trying to get ahead, we're like, hey, how can I help push you forward? I promise you, that'll shake somebody's soul so deeply they won't know what to do, and the only explanation is that you've encountered Jesus and are trying to be more and more like him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna ask a question. If you're in here tonight and you were like, Connor, as you were talking, I felt like the Holy Spirit was, was asking me, there's stuff that I need to do. I just need to humble myself. If I'm being totally honest, I'm not a humble person. Maybe you're in here tonight and you're like, if I'm being totally honest, I'm not humble. I wrestle with, with stuff with my ego. I, I've gotten caught up in the race of self-promotion. Can I tell you tonight, Jesus wants to invite you into the process and the following of servanthood. 
to humble yourself. And this is what I love, Jesus. He's not gonna condemn you. He's not gonna rebuke you in this moment. What he's gonna do is he's gonna speak life and encouragement to you because nothing makes him happier than people that'll say, okay, Jesus, I submit. Make me a servant. I promise you he'll do that in your life. If that's you, would you please lift your hand? Would you say, God's working on my heart and I wanna become a servant. I wanna be more like Jesus. That's awesome. I'm gonna pray for you in a minute. And keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in here tonight and you've never experienced Jesus, like Philippians said, there is a God, like a literal God, who loved you so much. He's not looking for you to perform for him because he performed for you. And everything that we should have done for God, God did for us. When Jesus was walking with his disciples to Jerusalem, he got on a cross, was literally tortured beyond the point of recognition. People didn't even recognize him. And it was because he wanted to pay the price that we all deserve. He wanted us to have a fully reconciled relationship with God so that we don't have to perform, we don't have to beg, we don't have to plead. We can stand as who we are, as people that are in love with a saving God. And we can, we can just embrace God and what he has done for us. The Bible says the greatest thing you can do for God is embrace what God has done for you already. If you're in here tonight and you don't know Jesus, but you would like to meet him, would you just lift your hand real quick? I just wanna invite you to say a prayer in your own heart. I see your hand, I see your hand, thank you. Can we all pray together and we're gonna worship. Lord Jesus, what an honor to have an opportunity to hear your heart, to become more like you. God, I pray for every single person in this room that you would speak to their personal situation and that you would begin to show them over the days and the weeks how they can be a servant. And just like your word says, when we serve God, you'll promote. Would you just take the stress and the anxiety of being discovered off of us tonight? And would you allow us to rest in the freedom of being who we are, knowing that you've made us just the way you want us and you want us to serve and we'll experience a life we've never experienced before. And if you're in here tonight and you raised your hand, God, I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would reveal Jesus to those people, that they, they would see your mercy, your goodness and your kindness that you would begin a relationship with them, to live in their heart, to change them, and to be new, completely different people than when they came in. Father God, we love you. It's our honor to worship you. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen.